All right, good morning. Peace be with you guys. Thank you, thank you. Um, If this is your first time here, my name is Garrison, and I am one of the pastors here at Veritas Dayton. We're very glad that you're here this morning. If you want to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 12, uh, that is found in pages 558, 559 in the white or blue paperback Bibles at the edge of each bench. If you don't have a Bible with you, grab one of those, turn to page, to page 558, that'll get you where you need to go. 1 Corinthians 12, we're going to just read the whole chapter. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, you can take that one home. That's our gift to you. We'd love for you to, to take that home and make it your own. Um, now, some of the things we're going to be talking about this morning can tend to be a little more um, controversial at times or uh, it can tend to stir up maybe some questions and prompt some questions. And so uh, we're actually, and, and, and since we're not going to have city groups tonight, our member meeting is tonight, and that would typically be where uh, you, know, you discuss these things and ask your questions and, and all of that. Um, but because that, that's not taking place tonight, we're going to do a Q&A in the gym um, just a, a few moments after the service is done, maybe 10 minutes after the service is done, depending on uh, how quickly the, the, um, the kids and family ministry get out of the gym. We're going to do a Q&A after the gym. I'll be there, um, and, and we can just, if you have questions that kind of come up based on today's text, um, please, please feel free to come and ask those questions. Don't be shy. Um, we, we want to engage your questions, and, 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 and uh, we want to, to discuss these things with you. Um, so uh, if you want to stand with me for the reading of God's word, 1 Corinthians 12. These are the words of our God. So let's listen with reverence and joy. We'll read the whole chapter, but we're going to focus on verses 1 through 13 this morning. But we'll go ahead and read the whole chapter because we'll cover a few things after verse 13 as well. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers... I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, But it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues, All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, I would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, I would not make it any less a part of the body. 
If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating in various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit that you have sent through your Son. Thank you for pouring your love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Thank you for uniting us as one body in the presence and power of your Holy Spirit. Thank you for for giving us a a deeper sense of our individuality and a deeper sense of belonging in in your family through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And we pray that that would take place here this morning in greater measure, that each person would would have a a greater sense of their individuality and the ways that you've gifted them as individuals, but also a deeper sense of belonging to this church family. And that they would see more and more the ways that they can use their gifts to serve and build up the body. We pray that that would be the end for which this sermon is preached. All for the glory of your name. All for the propagation of your gospel throughout the earth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, I am probably opening up myself to being made fun of with this story, but um, when I was in the fourth grade, I was kind of obsessed with uh, yo-yoing. You know, yo-yos, it's the toy with a little string, a little wheel at the bottom. There's a little loop at the top so you could put your finger in there and you do tricks with it to try to to impress all the other kids at recess. You know what I'm talking about. Um, I got pretty good at it too. I was pretty good at yo-yoing. I could do all sorts of tricks. I could make it sleep. You know, you kind of like loosen the, the string on the wheel and you just make it sleep down there. It just stays and spins. Um, I could make it sleep. I, I could go around the world. It like goes I could uh, do the Eiffel Tower. It's a trick where you like put your fingers in throughout the, the string and you make the shape of the Eiffel Tower. I could, uh, I could do all sorts of cool things with yo-yos, man. And um, when Christmas time approached that year, I was in the fourth grade, that Christmas time approached that year, uh, the, the time came for me to use my hard-earned dollars to buy a Christmas present for my brother. Uh, my brother, who was, uh, he was three years older than me, uh, who, who uh, didn't like yo-yos, who probably made fun of my newfound obsession, that brother. And um, 
I got him a yo-yo trick instructional VHS tape for, <laughs> for Christmas. It was brilliant, yes. Um, I wore that VHS tape out, uh, but uh, interestingly, he didn't watch it too much. And, uh, you know, my brother didn't say anything about it, and, and I didn't say anything about it, but he knew, and, and I knew that I didn't get that gift for him. Uh, deep down in the, the, the recesses of my evil little 10-year-old heart, my selfishness, my idolatry and desire to impress the girls at recess led me to get that gift for myself. Even though I was pretending to be so kind and generous and pretending to, to get that yo-yo trick instructional VHS tape for him, all I really cared about was myself. I loved myself most. I, wa- I wanted to impress others. I wanted to learn all those cool yo-yo tricks. Well, this is sort of what was going on in, in Corinth. The Christians in that local church there in Corinth were, were approaching spiritual gifts kind of like that. Uh, they were viewing their, their spiritual gifts as something they owned. Like their, they, they viewed their spiritual gifts as their own. Uh, and they were seeking to use them in a way that, uh, that would impress others and that would make others think that they were super wise or super spiritual. They were giving their, these gifts to themselves. And they weren't using their gifts to serve and build up the body. They were using their gifts to impress, to make others think that they were super wise, super spiritual. They treated their gifts as their own. And they used their gifts to build up not others, but themselves. And so that's, that's kind of the context in which Paul is writing this letter, in, 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 in which he writes this chapter, and he tells them here about the source of their spiritual gifts. He tells them, you know, your gifts are not your own. You think that you own your gifts. You think that your gifts are, are, are your own, but they were given to you by another. And he tells them that these gifts were, were given to them not for their own purposes, but for the purpose and, and, and aim of those of, of the one who give, had given them to them. Uh, namely, they were given so that the church would be consoled and encouraged and, and built up and edified. These gifts were given by the Holy Spirit to equip his people to serve one another. And this is a message we need because as Augustine so aptly put it, human beings by nature, are, are, we are curved in upon ourselves. We're prone to seeing our gifts, our time, our resources, our lives as our own. And so we're prone to, therefore, using our gifts and time and resources for our own ends and, and purposes. But as Christians, we confess we believe that our lives are not our own, that our gifts, that our talent, that our time, that our resources are not our own, that we have been bought with a price, and therefore, we aim our lives, we live with such purpose, such a purpose as to glorify God and edify his people with our gifts. This is the purpose for which we've been entrusted with gifts. Therefore, we live and use our gifts, time, and resources for his ends and purposes. Our big idea for this morning is that the Holy Spirit, he graciously equips his people by giving them a variety of diverse gifts to build one another up. The Holy Spirit graciously equips his people by giving them a variety of gifts to serve and build one another up and to impact that we're going to look at the source, the diversity, and the aim of spiritual gifts. First, the source of spiritual gifts. To understand spiritual gifts, uh, we need to first understand that the S in spiritual should be capitalized. Uh, The Holy Spirit is the one who gives these gifts to his people. He is the one who equips his people with spiritual gifts. Paul says, starting in verse 4, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. 
In verse 7, he calls uh, an administration of a spiritual gift a manifestation of the Spirit. In verse 11, after Paul lists off a few spiritual gifts, he says, All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Even just the, the phrase spiritual gifts gets the point across. As we just mentioned, the, the S in spiritual should be capitalized. It's in reference to the Holy Spirit. And the word gifts um, is, is actually, it might better be translated as uh, grace gifts. Um, some translators even uh, translate the word that way, grace gifts. It's, it's a word, uh, charismata, it's a word that means gifts given by divine grace grace gifts. They are spiritual endowments or abilities graciously given to us by God the Holy Spirit. And these endowments, these these abilities come in a number of different forms and ways. It could be supernatural enhancements of our natural abilities. It could be supernatural empowerment to do something outside of our natural abilities. Uh, We might have a gift for a certain period of time uh, and, and for a season when it's particularly needed, but then once that season is over, we might not uh, have that gift any longer, or it might be something we have for our entire lives. And, and one thing that Paul is making very clear here is that these gifts, whatever they may be, they are given as gracious gifts from God. You don't earn spiritual gifts. You don't deserve them. They're not something you can take credit for. And Paul is saying this because the Corinthians were approaching spiritual gifts as an occasion for, for boasting and building themselves up. They were using their spiritual gifts for their own perp- uh, personal gain. They were more interested in having sort of ecstatic uh, spiritual experiences and being thought of as, as impressive and wise and as an impressive spiritual specimen to other believers in the church as opposed to building up the body of Christ. And so he's reminding them, these gifts, they're not your own. They have been given to you by another. You're simply called to steward them for his intents and purposes. And the same is true for us, Veritas. We, are, we have been given, each of us, spiritual gifts. And we are called to use those gifts to serve. And so that means that if you are currently using a, a particular spiritual gift to seek to impress others and to build yourself up and to prop yourself up as, as an impressive spiritual specimen, you are, in fact, misusing your spiritual gifts. On the other hand, maybe, maybe you're not using your spiritual gifts to serve at all. Maybe, maybe you're not seeking to be seen and noticed, but you're kind of hoping to, to kind of slip in and slip out and not be seen, not be noticed, not use your gifts. It's sort of sense of false humility, or maybe it's, it's laziness. Or because you're not really sure if you want to commit to membership, or you're just, you're just not really sure if your gifts are impressive, or, or, or for whatever reason, you're, you're sort of sitting on the sidelines, and you're letting other people in the body serve here. You're not involved with hospitality or family ministry. You're not involved with the city group. You're not involved. And you need to hear this too, because you are given a gift or gifts by the Holy Spirit for his intents and purposes. And so you're not being a good steward of your gifts if you're not using them to serve the body. Or maybe you're just not sure that your gift or or your gifts are really all that important or needed. What we see next is that the Holy Spirit gives a variety of diverse gifts, don't we? There's there's a diversity of gifts that the same Spirit empowers for his own purposes. And so we mustn't make the mistake of thinking the Holy Spirit picks a few people in the body of Christ to be carriers of his gifts while everyone else just kind of uh, sits back as passive observers. No, he he says in verse 7, to each, to each, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And there are all sorts of gifts that the Spirit, that the Holy Spirit gives his people for the common good of his people. 
Now, there are actually several places in the New Testament where Paul or another author uh, will give a sort of list of, of spiritual gifts. Romans 12 is one place. 1 Corinthians 12 here, there's a couple of lists here. Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4 are all texts where we see this. And it's interesting because no two lists are the same. Uh, they, they mention different gifts. They mention them in different orders, which should lead us to conclude that whenever we come across a list like this in the Bible, um, that we should keep in mind that none of these lists are exhaustive. Okay, they're not, they're not listing every single spiritual gift. The, the writers are not trying to list out every spiritual gift that might exist in the body of Christ. There are likely a great number of spiritual gifts that aren't mentioned in the body or in the New Testament. Uh, the New Testament writers are not trying to give a list of every single spiritual gift in existence. Uh, Romans 12 mentions gifts of teaching, prophecy, exhorting, mercy, service, giving, and leadership. Uh, Ephesians 4.11 mentions officers in the church um, who have played or do play a particular role in delivering the word of God. He mentions four officers. He mentions the apostles. Um, they, they were the inspired writers of the New Testament. Prophets, they were uh, the inspired writers of the Old Testament. Evangelists, they were the inspired writers of the four Gospels in the book of Acts. And then last, he mentions, uh, fourth, he mentions pastor teachers. There's actually an and, if you have an ESV, there's an and pastors and teachers, but there should be a dash there that should just say pastor teachers. Uh, that's, that's those of us who are not inspired. We don't write scripture. We don't, we don't speak scripture. We don't carry the same authority that the apostles, prophets, and evangelists did, but we're called to teach the inspired word of God that all of those other officers have uh, written. Uh, We could also add deacons as a spiritual gift. Uh, Deacons are are those in the church who serve in more practical matters, like matters of mercy or administration or hospitality or something like that. We we have a number of, of leaders like that in our church. We should be grateful for them because they are spiritual gifts. They're grace gifts given to us by the Holy Spirit. Uh, We see in 1 Peter 4.11, the the gifts of speaking and the gift of service mentioned. And uh, like the other lists, the the lists here given in 1 Corinthians 12, they're not exhaustive. Uh, In fact, the the lists given here are particularly relevant to the Corinthian church, you see, because uh, in the culture, in the city of Corinth, in general, uh, they they were a people who longed to be recognized and admired for uh, their wisdom and their kind of supernatural spirituality. There's a sort of obsession with oratory gifts. Uh, the the pagan temples and, and cults in Corinth were were wrought with this kind of thing. And as we know from verse two, this is this is the setting uh, from which the Corinthian Christians were coming out of. This is the background of the Corinthian Christians, and so they were bringing this kind of thing into the church. This obsession with wisdom and, and oratory gifts and supernatural spirituality in order to be seen and admired by others. It was a mess. And so Paul is addressing the spiritual gifts that the Corinthians seem to have more interest in. Oratory gifts, supernatural uh, activities, gifts concerning wisdom and knowledge, and, and the ones that they're kind of obsessed with. Uh, and, and later he places them, in all reality, right next to gifts like administration, gifts like gifts of helping or service, uh, which maybe they weren't as interested in, although they should have been because they're just as important as, as these other gifts that are mentioned, and they're just as supernaturally empowered. But uh, let's, let's just kind of walk through this list really quick. First, he says, to one is given through the Spirit utterance, the utterance of wisdom. Uh, now, it's important to say with these, these first two gifts, an utterance of wisdom and utterance of knowledge, uh, we never see any sort of description of them in the New Testament. Uh, 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 we never see what they are precisely, but it seems fairly obvious what they are. If you just read the phrase, an utterance of wisdom, a, a word of wisdom, a word 
a message of wisdom, um, you know, just think about what is wisdom? Wisdom is applied knowledge, right? So think of a Christian uh, who you know that has this particular gift, uh, a particular gift in applying biblical theology and biblical principles to sort of practical areas of life. These are the kind of people in your church that you might go to fairly often for counsel and advice. That's uh, an utterance of wisdom, a gift of an utterance, a word of wisdom. And then Paul says to another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit. Now think of this the same way that you did in, as an utterance of wisdom, an utterance of knowledge, a word of knowledge. Um, you will inevitably have sometime in your life uh, sort of burning theological, biblical, doctrinal questions. And uh, there, there are, this is going to happen in your life at some point in your Christian walk, and there are people in the body of Christ who seem to be able to handle those questions and answer those questions uh, and those, uh, those difficult issues very well. They seem to be able to explain biblical and theological concepts in ways that are particularly timely and helpful. They have this gift. Next, Paul mentions the gift of faith. Uh, now, he's not talking about saving faith, the type of faith that every Christian has. He's talking about a gift wherein one might have uh, a particularly bold faith um, in, in order to pray for certain things or to get through certain trials and tribulations. Uh, a good example of this actually comes from church history. Uh, a man named George Mueller. Uh, George Mueller, he was a pastor. He ran an orphanage. He, he was an educator. Um, he started a number of schools. He cared for over 10,000 orphans. And he started, over 100, he started a, a 117 schools in his lifetime. And uh, he, he did this all while planting and pastoring a church, which I have no idea how one would do that. Uh, and, and here's this interesting thing. He did it all without ever asking anyone for money, uh, except God. He, 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 when, when the church, when he, when the orphanage, when the schools needed some sort of resource, when they needed finances, he would simply pray and ask God. And there were many miraculous sort of unexplainable uh, events and provisions throughout his ministry. Um, and, and so he's a good example of, of uh, this gift that Paul is talking about here. While it may not be likely that you know anyone, that we know anyone who, who has the same measure of this gift as George Mueller, nonetheless, we, we might know someone or, or um, but might even be someone who has this particular gift. Now, uh, I'm going to pause right here in the list for a minute because uh, we need to uh, just say that these gifts that we're about to address in the rest of the list are particularly uh, they, can, they can be uh, divisive at times as, as we talk about them. Uh, the reason that they can tend to be controversial is that some Christians believe that these gifts have ceased. And some Christians believe that these gifts continue. Uh, Christians that believe these gifts have ceased are called cessationists. That's creative, I know. And equally creative, uh, the, the people who believe that these gifts continue are called continuationists. And so... Uh, th- this can sort of be a, 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 an area of, of um, division and, and argument, unfortunately, especially since the giving of the Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit is supposed to be something that brings unity and interdependence in the body of Christ. And so I want to say, before we get into them, before we cover them, that our congregation is one in which you can hold to either position and still be a member here. Like our confession of faith doesn't actually state uh, an official position on the cessation or continuation of spiritual gifts. And we believe that the fruit of the Spirit, especially that of love, should shape and form the way that we talk about the gifts of the Spirit with one another. And even just speaking of the the positions as two separate categories, cessationists and continuationists, it can be somewhat misleading uh, because there's actually like an entire spectrum of positions on the issue. 
And there are extremes on both sides, but, but what I found, honestly, often is in talking about this with, with people from both sides, is that most of us are somewhere near the middle, okay? So hopefully that sort of helps you engage with others as you discuss these sorts of things in, in a way with charity and with grace. But now, although our confession of faith doesn't state one way or another, and, and we've, uh, the, the reality is we've, we've come to this topic in the Bible, and I'm preaching and teaching the Bible, and I have a position on this, and so uh, I have the microphone, you don't. You have to listen to me. So I'm going to tell you uh, what I believe uh, is, is the case here with the continuation or cessation of these spiritual gifts. It's my conviction that these gifts that we're about to discuss continue to be available and given in the church today. Okay, and, and there are a million caveats I could give to that. Um, I, I could tell you, I don't believe that anyone has these gifts in the same way that Jesus or the apostles did. Uh, I, I don't think that these gifts always need to be in operation for a church to be a faithful local church. Um, I, I, I believe that the Holy Spirit is the sovereign giver of these gifts. And so we shouldn't put burdensome or unfair expectations on God's people to manifest the gifts of the Spirit that he hasn't given them. And, and I could give a hundred more caveats, but suffice it to say, Scripture and not experience is our final authority on the matter, okay? The experience might inform our positions, which I'm sure it has in, in mine and in, in some sense, but our final authority should never be experience, experience on the matter. Our final authority should be Scripture. And I've seen both sides of this debate argue for or against the continuation of spiritual gifts based on experience. And frankly, the cessationist position is just hard to defend scripturally. It's just hard to defend scripturally. I've, I've looked through this book, and I just can't find it. And there have even been times where I've wanted to find it, but I've just not been able to find it. It's not here. Or if it's here, I've not found it. And so I, it's, it's, it, I, I, I just believe, and and I want to tell you, these gifts in some way, shape, form, or measure continue to be available to us today as God's people. So let's get into this. Paul mentions here the gift, or actually in all reality, he mentions the gifts of healing, leading us to conclude that that there's not a once and for all sort of gift of healing that someone receives, and then they set up a, a, a healing ministry somewhere, and people just come up, and they boom, heal them on the spot. That's not what Paul is saying. He, he says gifts of healing. Uh, it, it seems that this gift may be a bit more sporadic. The gifts are occasions, the occasions of healing itself, rather than a once-for-all ability to heal whenever you want. We, you know, we pray for healing when someone is ill or, or something like that, whether it be physical, emotional, psychological, spiritual, some kind of healing, we pray for it. And sometimes God answers. And sometimes, though, he might not. We, we see this in the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul. Paul was this man who walked in incredible spiritual authority. Like, God used him to, to accomplish miraculous healing at times. But also, he was a man who dealt with some sort of illness or, or bodily ailment that he calls his thorn in his flesh in 2 Corinthians 12 that he didn't get healed from. Uh, in 2 Timothy 4.20, Paul says that he left a co-laborer of his uh, by the name of Trophif- Trophimus, sorry, Trophimus, he left him sick in the city of Miletus, uh, leading us to believe that either Paul didn't pray for Trophimus to be healed, which I doubt, or he did and Trophimus simply wasn't healed. So we should always pray for healing and we should pray expectantly, we should ask expectantly, while also recognizing that sometimes those prayers won't be answered in the way that we might like. And Paul goes on, he says to another, the working of miracles 
Again, the language here would lead us to believe that this is not some sort of permanent gift given to someone that they could just manifest at any time that they want, but rather a sort of wide category of gifts that might be given uh, in certain situations when someone's serving in a particular ministry situation where, where uh, there's some sort of need requires a, a powerful demonstration of God's kingdom. Uh, next, he mentions prophecy. Uh, so that could be defined as, as a sort of spontaneous empowerment of the Holy Spirit that allows someone to reveal God's presence and guidance in a specific situation. And it should always be stated when we talk about prophecy, it should always be stated that this kind of prophecy is not equal to Scripture. Okay, Scripture is our sort of, it's our final authority. Prophecy is never equal to Scripture. It's not some sort of like fortune telling or, or prediction made. Uh, it's always capable of error. Like whenever this sort of thing is given, it's always capable of error. Thus, we're always to test what is said. That's why Paul tells in 1 Corinthians 14 to test those who prophesy. Which is also why the next one is so important, the ability to distinguish between spirits. This is the ability to distinguish between true and false teaching and true and false teachers. The ability to distinguish between what is a result of and, and working of the Holy Spirit or an evil spirit. Maybe the ability to discern, discern what the Spirit might be doing in a particular situation. And then lastly, this is one we've been waiting for, tongues and the interpretation of tongues. Now much like many, uh, not all, but many modern day Pentecostals and Charismatics, the Corinthians had a sort of obsession with speaking in tongues. So much to the point where, where Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, he tells them that there are other gifts of the Spirit which should be preferred over speaking in tongues. But nonetheless, this is a, a gift given uh, by the Holy Spirit. And, and, and just a simple, straightforward reading of the text would lead us to, to conclude that this is a gift akin to the gift of prophecy, uh, yet it's given in another language and it's to be interpreted so that those who are present can understand the message given. Uh, we have no reason to believe, though, that speaking in tongues is a sort of private prayer language. We have no reason to believe that all Christians are given such a gift. It's a gift that God gives some people, and it's for the consolation and building up of others. And it always requires interpretation. And then Paul, uh, he goes on to mention a number of other gifts later in the chapter in 12. He includes apostles, prophets, teachers, miracles, gifts of helping, uh, which would be like some sort of gift of service. Uh, He mentions the gift of administration, which I don't have, uh, and there are many more. Uh, Maybe your gift or your gifts aren't mentioned here. Maybe they're not mentioned in the the New Testament at all. Uh, But here's what I do know. It's that you have some sort of spiritual gift or gifts that were given to you to build up the body of Christ in this local church family. And I know that because every Christian is given a gift or gifts for that purpose. That's what Paul is saying here. And it's important for you to know that, especially those of you who have, whose gifts have been downplayed due to your race or your age or your sex or your economic status or your physical abilities or your marital status. You know, the, the, the day of Pentecost in Acts 2 actually meant the filling and gifting of the Holy Spirit for all of God's people. That's why Peter quotes Joel in Acts 2, 17 and 18. He says, In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters, it's male and female, young people, sons and daughters, young men, young women shall prophesy. And your young men, young people, shall see visions, and your old men, the elderly, shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants, that would be those who are uh, maybe a little bit poor, they are servants, they're slaves, and uh, even on my male servants and my female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. 
Sons and daughters, old and young, rich and poor. And Paul is keeping with this this sort of theme from Acts 2, spiritual gifts theme from Acts 2 here in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and 13. He says, for just as the body is one and has many members, all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. You see this, that every believer, every single Christian, regardless of race, sex, economic status, age, physical abilities, has been brought into the body of Christ on equal footing and each have gifts that this church needs. You have gifts that this church needs. And I know that we live in a time and a culture that inside and outside the church, certain demographics of people are are marginalized and their gifts are suppressed. And I'm sure that our church is guilty of this in some way, shape, or form. But let me make it clear, and when and where that's the case, we need to be reformed and transformed by what Scripture is calling us to here. The Spirit doesn't just give His gifts to married, middle-class white men. Ladies, you have gifts that this church needs. Children, you have gifts that this church needs. If you're older, if you're disabled, if you're poor, if you're a minority, if you're single, you have gifts that this church, the body of Christ in this church, need. we need you. There are a diversity of gifts given to a diverse people, all in order that the body of Christ would be built up and encouraged and edified and consoled. And that's the aim of spiritual gifts. Last point and we'll close. I want you to notice that the entire emphasis of this chapter is that these variety of diverse gifts are empowered by the Holy Spirit for a particular purpose. And that purpose, that aim, is for the common good of the church. Verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Spiritual gifts are given for the common good in the building up of the church. They're given to us by the Holy Spirit in order to love and serve one another. They're given to us by the Holy Spirit so that we might build one another up in the faith. They are given so that we might participate in the mutual consolation and edification of the saints. In one sense, they're they're not even gifts given to us by the Holy Spirit. Rather, spiritual gifts are given to others through us. I I love how um, one of my favorite theologians, uh, Michael Horton, he describes it. He says that every time the church gathers, it's like Christmas morning. What happens on Christmas morning? You get together with your family and you give one another gifts and you open gifts. What happens every Sunday morning? What happens every time your city group gathers? It's like Christmas morning. The the family of God gets together and, and, and people show up with their gifts to give to one another. Brian shows up with the gift of music. Uh, I or another pastor will show up with a gift of teaching and exhortation or wisdom or knowledge or whatever else. People, uh, it, Julia shows up with the gift of administration, which is so helpful because no one else has that, it seems. I'm just kidding. You, probably many of you have it. So, many of you show up with your gifts to serve in hospitality. Many of you show up with your gifts to, to serve in family ministry. Many of you show up with your gifts of mercy. When someone shows up and they're in need, you show up with this gift that you have and that you've been given by the Holy Spirit. That's what spiritual gifts are for. The aim and purpose for which we are given spiritual gifts is to give them away for the body, for the building up of the body of Christ. The Spirit equips us with gifts to serve his people. This is one of the really, really important reasons that like, we need you to show up. We need you to show up. 
Not that there are ever, like, reasons, not that there are never reasons for missing church. Like, obviously, if you're sick, if you're on vacation, you won't be here. That's totally understandable. But I want you to recognize that when you're not here, when you're not at Citigroup, others are missing out on how the Spirit of God is uniquely gifted to you. And you're missing out on how God, the, the Spirit of God is uniquely gifted others. So let me exhort you, show up, steward your gifts well, put them to good use. And let me exhort you in this as well. This, there remains a call in the New Testament to develop our gifts and even to desire other gifts. In 2 Timothy 1, uh, 6 to 7, Paul encourages Timothy, this is all for the sake of others. He, he encourages Timothy to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. I was talking about the gift of being a, a, a pastor. That's what the laying on of hands is a reference to here. But nonetheless, this is a principle that could apply to all of us in some form. We're called to fan into flame the gifts that God has given us, that the Holy Spirit has given us. We're called to develop, to cultivate, to stir, to, to, to pray for a greater measure of our gifts. And we're to do so for the sake of others so that we can better serve the body of Christ in greater and more edifying ways. And then we're also to desire gifts that edify the body in greater ways. Paul says in verse 31 that we should earnestly desire the higher gifts. What is he talking about there? Is he talking about the gifts that, that are most impressive? Are you talking about the gifts that, that will get us recognized? No, the higher gifts are those that edify the church more. Paul explains this when he gets into to chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. He says that the gifts that should be desired most are those gifts that edify the most, that build up the church most, the gifts that serve others most. So let me exhort you, member of Eritas, you should desire and pray for a greater measure of your spiritual gift, and you should desire and pray for other spiritual gifts so that you can serve others for the sake of others in the church. And most importantly, no matter what your spiritual gifts are, or in whatever measure you've been given them, or in whatever ministry setting you're using them in, we should always, always, always be unwavering in our commitment to love one another. And that should be the motivation for which we use our spiritual gifts. That's why Paul closes this chapter by saying, and still, I will show you a more excellent way. That more excellent way is the way of love. He goes on to write the famous love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. We read this earlier. It's not, it's not written for weddings, okay? It's not, that's not written to, to describe romantic love. It's written smack dab in the middle of when Paul is talking about life in the local church. It's a reference to what life together should be marked by within the covenant community. Therefore, more important than defining and discerning and practicing spiritual gifts is being a community marked by spiritual fruit, the spiritual fruit of love for one another. That's mainly what a spirit-filled community is marked by. The spirit fills us. Not so that we would be a community marked by navel-gazing and how impressive our gifts are, any of that. The spirit fills us to direct our gaze off of ourselves and onto our neighbor for their good and to serve them. And the only reason that we're able to love like that is because we've been so loved. Because the spirit, you know, the, the, the Romans 3 says that God has poured his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit fills us not just to direct our gaze at one another. He fills us to direct our gaze on Jesus, on his sufferings, on his cross. As Paul says in verse 3, no one can say that Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. The Spirit fixes our eyes on Jesus on his giving himself completely on the cross for, on our behalf, on his great love displayed for us in his death and resurrection. 
As we read earlier from from 1 John, because he has so loved and so served us, and because he has so loved and served our brothers and sisters in Christ, we give our time, we give our resources, we give our gifts, our talents, our lives to serve one another. And he has given us the power and presence of the Holy Spirit to do just that. The Holy Spirit graciously equips his people by giving them a variety of diverse gifts to build one another up. He is the source He's empowered a diversity, a variety of diverse gifts and abilities and activities in our body. And he's done so, so that we would love and serve and build one another up. Veritas, we are so loved by him. Therefore, we should love one another. Let's pray. Father, how deep is your love for us that you would send your son to live the life that we should have lived, to die the death that we deserve to die, to rise again. How deep is your love for us that you would send your Holy Spirit to fill us so that we could have a, a greater sense of your love, so we could have a sense of your love and so that we could pour your love out on others in your family. We thank you for saving us into this family and uniting us with your son by the power of the spirit and uniting us with one another by the power of the spirit and giving us a, a, a common fellowship, giving us a common unity, giving us a common union. And we pray that as we're about to approach the Lord's Supper, that we would see and taste and sense that union, that unity, that communion that has been purchased for us on the cross and that has been given to us in the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Assure our hearts of it and stir up a, a great desire to see it in greater and greater ways manifested in our church and in our city. We need you. Would you come? In Jesus' name, amen.